I see dead people. Welcome in to the Bro Tour Squad podcast, where we are just a bunch of bros drinking beer and talking movies. This is episode 162, and a happy October to you guys at home. I'm your host, the Mayor Jeff Hornacek. Before we get the pod started with the movie discussion, we have to go around and meet the fellow bros. And first, we go to our legal counsel, Ronnie Cycli, our horror connoisseur on the podcast. Ronnie, what's the scariest thing you saw in the courtroom this year, and does it rival anything that you've seen in a horror movie? I, I'm actually really surprised that you, of all people, would bring this up, because of uh, the deposition between you and Rachel when I had access to your phone. And I'm sorry, going through your photo album history and your texting history with Rachel, I, I really don't even want to think about that anymore. I couldn't sleep for weeks after I saw some of the things you would post, and my God, it made me sick. Did Rachel say anything about me or? Yeah, she said, stay away. So she is thinking about me. Yeah, but because you're always like standing in front of her or like at the same coffee shop she's at or, you know, on her front yard. I don't know. Maybe those things. <sighs> that saucy little minx. Next, we go into the lab to the mad scientist, Brian Banner. Now, Banner, uh, what's your Halloween setup this year for trick-or-treaters? Because I know... You tend to go all out this time of year between Halloween and then, of course, leading up to Christmas. This is a very prideful time for you to make sure your yard is decorated to the fullest. Yeah, we've got inflatables up in our yard from mid-September through New Year's. Uh, Pretty much once New Year's comes, I'm like, let's take all this shit down. I'm tired of it. Uh, This year, though, we're working with, we've got obviously the uh, Grogu or Baby Yoda holding a Stormtrooper Jack Lantern. Uh, We've got a Puppy dressed as a pirate, a spider, another jack-o'-lantern, and this year we added uh, Jack Skellington, uh, Mm. Zero, and uh, Oogie Boogie, all from Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, I gotta ask, what is typically the career length of one of these inflatables? Like, how many years will they last you before you gotta retire them? I'd I'd say between five and seven years. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, they take some wear and tear, but they're... They're okay. Uh, I think yeah, are the Christmas dinos. Years. Are the Christmas dinos going to come back out this year? Uh, we may have to retire one or two. We were actually oh, no. just talking about we need to. We may need to start to retheme a little, but we'll see. It's like, Is there the like last... a Tommy John surgery equivalent, like where they actually are out for the year, but they come back stronger. Yeah. Next year. Yeah. It's it's like when you when you tear your ACL, you're actually better for it. It's like <laughs> I think uh, I've never uh, heard that before. Yeah, I don't think everyone who's at all has any history in medicine is at home like, what? Nope, that's... Yeah, no, you want to tear your ACL. What it is. Um, it's kind of, with the dinosaurs, it's kind of like the Last Dance documentary. It's like, let, maybe we could get one more run out of this group of dinos. Yeah. They're going to need they're gonna need some, some help, though. You know, we got to bring in some of those young guns. Absolutely. You need a Dennis Rodman dino. That's what you need. If you had a dinosaur that had, like crazy hair that would be fucking incredible <laughs> <laughs> and as the bro four squad logo died into its head or its hair like cameron rock, diaz like... on his arm he did cameron diaz no what's her name what, who was Madonna. it oh it was... yeah and then carmel electra. Oh, carmen electra carmen electra that's who i was thinking of carmen electra yeah. yeah is that the one he married for like 11 seconds i think so like i, I actually I... think they got divorced at the reception that's not even she was joke. like nagging she's like i can't do it you're smothering me. 
All right, well, here on the Bro Force Squad podcast, we begin every episode with the most important thing in any bro's life, and that is chess day. And it's October, and the Bro Force Squad spooktacular is back. I think this might be Cycling Minds' favorite time of the year, especially for movies. So tonight, we're actually doing our third fictional character fight. We did one last episode, ironically, but we just had an idea that was too good to pass up. Tonight, our fictional character fight tournament is featuring... Horror movies' best killers facing off against each other in an eight-person battle royale with the venues where they will be fighting in our uh, fake debate. Some of the most iconic fake. places from the horror genre. Well, you know the game is played on the field, so this is <laughs> yeah, actually. And uh, the championship, as Brian has insisted, as it's becoming tradition, will be fought on Mortal Kombat's Fight Island. It's the only thing that makes sense. It's the only thing we could book this short of advance notice. Um, so we're actually going to start by revealing the field of eight characters, not in order of their matchups. And then we thought the best thing to do would be on pod, just randomly draw them. Um, it's all about the matchups. Yeah. It's all about who you get. Uh, and then drawing the venue where they'll be fighting and we will debate each matchup on pod, whichever uh, horror movie killer gets two out of three votes advances to the next round where we will crown a champion as the most lethal or movie. This show. is all about matchups to me because you could very well have a different winner based on who they're going against. So this is going to be. I'm interested in this. Anyone can win. I just and I would say want I, it to be known. I advocated for Damien to be in the tournament, and you I can't was, have the know. devil. <laughs> I mean, that's the, the that's pure evil, right? Well, like, and I, mean, I think that if somebody could have beat him, then that's pretty incredible. They deserve to I win don't the think tournament. Jesus is on this list. Well, he's in the play-in game. I do think that this, the venue where these people are fighting each other will have massive implications as well. Yeah, especially for one of these characters. Correct, yes. Um, so, Brian, why don't you go ahead and reveal uh, the eight killers that we have fighting in the tournament tonight. And again, this is not in order of their matchups. This is just to let you know who we'll be randomly drawing to see who fights who first. All right, first, coming out of the red corner... Freddy Krueger. Next. Of course, from The Nightmare on Elm Street. In case people don't know, we'll say the movies yeah. they're from. Uh, next, coming out of the lake, Jason Voorhees. Is that right? Voorhees? <laughs> yeah. I believe so. Okay. <laughs> so Freddy Krueger comes out of a corner, but Jason... <laughs> well, I think Brian just got the idea to try and send them out of Yeah, somewhere. look, it's called, it's called ad-libbing, okay? Improvisation. Like, what the hell? Have you heard of it? Next, coming out of Texas, we have Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Ma Massacre. Uh, next, coming from, I don't know where the that sewer, is. Probably? I've actually never seen Yeah, the sewer, I'll say that. Uh, is Pennywise. Now, is that, let's clarify, is this Pennywise from the original It or Pennywise from the, the remake and the sequel? He's a shapeshifter. It's both of them. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Um, but can we clarify that? I, I, before we even get into this, that Pennywise only appears every 23 years. This just happens. This whole fight happens to be during the 20 that's on the 23rd year. Like, yeah, well, we're not going to have the debate where it's like, <laughs> and actually he can't show up because it's not oh, forfeit. <laughs> Unfortunate. <laughs> for it. Again, it's all life. about the matchups, guys. That's true. If you draw Pennywise, it's a, it's basically a first round buy. That's great. Yeah, it's any argument, yeah. It'll be like that slow pitch softball league we played in, where like half the time the other team doesn't show up, and you're like, God damn it! But you have, we, we have to pay to, to play on the field. Yeah. I can't believe we fell for that so many times. 
You pay the ump to get the win. Yeah, which who the fuck cares? All Sorry, right, Ryan. and next, coming uh, from the farm, Hannibal Lecter from Silence of the Lambs. Next, coming from the playground, Chucky from Child's Play. Next, coming from Pasadena, Illinois, Michael Myers <laughs> from Halloween. Check out our uh, Halloween Pasadena, Illinois. And if you're wondering what the fuck that means, that's a joke because on our commentary, Geiger kept saying that Haddonfield, Illinois was clearly filmed in Pasadena. But she had a point. <laughs> Agreed, yes. And last but not least, coming out of probably the grossest bathroom you've ever taken a shit in, Jigsaw from Saw. Yes, I think Cycle and I have deduced from our multiple commentaries and viewings of Saw that Jigsaw probably lives and operates in Detroit, Michigan. Yeah, Baltimore or Detroit, I feel like that's the has to be either one. Somewhere where like it used to be a thriving uh, place of commerce and now there's all these abandoned factories. Yeah, you need as many. All right. And uh, and as a crooked, crooked uh, cops everywhere. Yes. Okay, so I have drawn the first two competitors in our first matchup. Oh, man. We begin with Jason Voorhees. Wow. Who will be slashing against. I guess that's probably. Slashing against Pennywise. Oh. And now, perhaps most importantly, we have six different venues that we are drawing from. Because, again, Fight Island is already the predetermined. (laughs) championship they will be fighting in the bathroom from the original saw Ooh, this oh is gonna be okay. interesting okay Ooh, jason Voorhees okay. versus pennywise in the bathroom for the original saw cycle let's toss it to you first who do you like in this matchup and why in a ba- do, uh, first off sorry these are to the death correct yeah to the, everything to it the always effect. is look if yeah. it was to the death when we were doing uh 90s kids just 90s kids, uh, what was it, sports heroes or something like that? Yeah, like Benny the Jet Rodriguez was in there. Yeah. Why are they killing each other? <laughs> it's horrible. All right, yeah, so like, Voorhees versus Pennywise in the bathroom okay. from the original. So, so this got. is big. This is where we're seeing the first installment of, uh, you know, the impact of the location of the venue. Because as we know, Jason has a fear of water, and we are in a bathroom. Now, the big question is there was running water in this bathroom as we crawl and saw one, right? There, that bathtub was full of water. So The one that Adam started in? Yeah. 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 So that means there is running water in this location. So what is Jason known for to me? He's known – he's a good teen killer. Um, he is good at sneaking. He doesn't have the sneaking ability in this venue, in my opinion, because we are in a bathroom. And I think Pennywise has the ability to – probably turn into Jason's mom and fuck with him because Jason is only kind of works with his mom and she's everything to him. The combination of the water and Penny's ability to shape into his mom. I think I'm going to go advantage Pennywise here. I got, I got Pennywise minus minus one twenty. Hmm. So close, but yeah. Yeah, it's close, it's just, but giving him the slight edge. Pennywise. He's a banner. So you agree as well. You think Pennywise also wins this fight to the death? I, I do. I think, uh, obviously, with the water and the not being able to sneak up on him, Jason is at a huge disadvantage with this venue. Now, with that being said, though, we do know he is good at close quarters, 
right? Yes. So that, I mean, this is just put him in a cage and see who wins. Um, if Jason can keep his head and keep his wits about him, uh, he, he could pull off the upset. Uh, but I think I got to go Pennywise here again because just because of the just because of the venue, it, it yields to his uh, his liking better. Plus, you have the sewer, which is Pennywise's like home. That's base. his home, right? Yeah. But is it a sewer? I mean, it's a pipe goes somewhere. Yeah, I, I'm actually gonna go Jason here. I Ooh, I, I do like agree it. with everything Cycli said about. You know, the water aspect. I don't think there's enough water accessibility in that bathroom for Pennywise to really uh, take get an advantage out of it. And again, the close quarters for me with Jason is the big advantage. If we were out in, you know, some sort of open field or like a creepy ass house, which, again, is, might be one of the venues here coming up. I think Pennywise would have a huge advantage in terms of mind fucking Jason. But here it just seems like it's it's like a fourth and one situation. It's like a battle of the trenches and. Jason can just corner Pennywise and do his thing that he does where he just stands there ominously. Although this, I think, would be a good – so get good ratings on television. Also because yeah, people I'd be like, what it. the fuck is that? So they, <laughs> I, I think you're dead right about the water. Like maybe it would be, it would be beneficial. I think to me the biggest thing is is Penny impersonating Jason's mom. I really I, think that's where that's – I think so like the water could Penny. start to get to him because if he fills that tub up and it starts spilling over the edge mm-hmm. – and, he and just imagine kind of, if he, as Jason's mom says, get in the tub, Jason. Yeah, see? I don't know. I mean, I, I get it. I like it. I, I think this is, again, where venue and matchups mean everything. It, Jason easily got, I think, to me, this is a tough matchup for him. It's unfortunate because Jason could go really far. Yeah. yeah. All right, Pennywise advances two to one, uh, and he defeated Jason Voorhees in the bathroom from the original Saw. God, is interesting. Jason amazing. getting knocked out in the first round. Thing is, is it's not an upset, but it's just poor matchups. We said it yeah. from the top. It's all about the matchups. Jason just got jumped early, and the Pennywise fans were raucous in the crowd. That game was hosted in Boise, Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> Probably Detroit. Again. Was the tile of the bathroom blue? Yeah, 100% for the Boise State Broncos. All right, our second matchup, I just drew it randomly for us. We have Chucky from Child's Play. This is a, a fight of contrasting styles. Facing off against Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies. And the venue where this fight to the death is taking place. Home court advantage for Chucky because we have the toy store from the beginning of Child's Play. Where the serial killer gets his body oh. transported into the doll. Wow. So, Banner, let's go to you first. Chucky versus Leatherface. We'll say, just in terms of seating, you know, the committee... Uh, did a big favor here for Chucky, letting him basically play a home game. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not his home arena, but it's in the same town. So that's just, you know, you got your fans behind you. Here's the thing. Leatherface, he's going to come out. I think he's, he's fast in open space, right? Give him some field, he's going to catch you. But in the tight quarters of this toy store, yeah. that's really going to limit his ability. Now, he also could just literally chains chainsaw through the uh the walls or the aisles yeah but you didn't uh, buy it brian i know he just can't afford that you know the, all the people that he kills and, and, jesus they're so poor right uh now obviously i think chucky has a big advantage in his size going into this one yeah. as well you know you've got to get that big chainsaw leatherface has to get that big chainsaw down low to chucky's level 
Low man that, wins. Yeah. Yeah, and that's just that's gonna that's gonna except wear in him Star Wars. Out. Except in Star Wars. Well, of course, yes. I Obviously. Don't try it. Uh, so I'm going Chucky here. I think that he has the home field advantage. I think that uh, the size, where most of the time you think bigger is better, I think in this case that actually hurts him. Interesting. All right, Chucky up 1-0 on Leatherface with the fight in the Choice Dwarf from the beginning of Child's Play. Also, if you're someone at home who's getting pissed off because we didn't research the name of the store, um, maybe you haven't listened to our show before. That's not really, <laughs> research That's not really is not our thing. Yeah, just knowing that it existed, I'm, I'm proud of us. All right, Cycle, who you like here? Again, Chucky's up 1-0. So this, again, goes exactly what Banner said. Matchup, uh, venue makes a big difference. When I first heard the matchup, my brain went Leatherface. Um, but when you say, you know, Toys are obviously Chucky's home base, that's great. But wielding a chainsaw in, in that kind of proximity, it's just, it's too heavy of a machine. Mm-hmm. You've got to be quick. Uh, I think Chucky's going to be, again, size is everything here. Chucky, who, by the way, is small, but he does have human strength, right? Like he, he's yes. not, right. he's not a child. Literally, he does have the human strength. Yeah, I don't think he'd be able to stab people to death if he had the strength. He's like an adolescent Ant Man. Yeah, exactly. And I think his ability here is exactly on point. Like I think this is clear cut. I, I unfortunately for Leatherface, that Chucky is going to be mobile. He's going to be quick. He's going to be able to jump through the aisles. He'll be in the rafters and drop down on Leatherface. I think Leatherface is walking around in unknown territory. He's used to the farm in Texas. He's in New York now or whatever city that toy store was in and carrying out a clunky chainsaw, going slow. Um, yeah, I, I, I think this is pretty clear cut for me. I think Chucky, Chucky wins this one. I actually agree. So I'll make it basically a clean sweep. I think, like you guys said, this is just a victim of a bad draw. Chucky in the toy store probably has all those other versions of the doll, too that he can inhabit or possess. And Leatherface, again, is is just not built to be bumping around in the aisles. Now, you get him in, again, a wide-open space. I would have really liked to see, to see a potential second-round matchup of Leatherface and Jason Voorhees somewhere. Strength on strength. You we know, might be able but, to do something like that. I don't know. Loser's bracket. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I do stand by what I said earlier. Anyone could win this thing. In this, in, it, it all depends on the matchup. It all depends on the venue. It's insane. This is... You know, again, telling me Leatherface and Jason are out in the first round. Get out of here. And I will say, I mean, I'm looking again at the competitors. I have seen the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre and all the new ones, all three of the new ones. And I think Leatherface is the most athletic killer out of this group. Mm. So he needs to be fighting in a place where he can actually showcase that. And I think the first two venues we've had are not built for him, unfortunately. So... Chucky wins. Uh, sweep right there. Big win for the little guy. you know. Big win for the little guy. Love to see it. All right. On to our third matchup. Our next two competitors. First name I drew is Jigsaw from the Saw movies. This is, this is going to be an interesting one. He will be facing off against the one person I didn't want him to go up against, and that is Freddy Krueger. Oh, wow. wow. Now, the venue is big here. This is it. This is the one character I was. Jigsaw will be fighting Freddy Krueger at Camp Crystal Lake. Oof. Okay. Camp Crystal Lake. I'll go first here. Uh, I was actually hoping Jigsaw would get Camp Crystal Lake. If you give John Kramer three days to set up traps at Camp Crystal Lake, I don't think anyone rolls in there and, and beats him in a kill off. So 
Freddy Krueger, again, his big thing is is dreams. But even if you're not dead and he's in the real world, we've seen in Freddy vs. Jason, he's still formidable. But I just think the cerebral approach of John Kramer in something like Camp Crystal Lake where he has cabins, he has um, sheds, he has the outdoors at his disposal, he has water, he has the woods. I mean, you give him any sort of prep time, and I'm assuming we're letting all these guys use the skills at their uh, disposal. Like it's You not have like, to. Right. You have to, yeah. I got to go jigsaw here. Um, I think the way that he would rig up traps at Camp Crystal Lake would be Actually, that'd be a pretty fucking cool movie. Now that I'm thinking, <laughs> what he set up at a summer camp, like he can kill you with like a kayak or something. I don't know. So I'll go J jigsaw. versus J, Jigsaw versus Jason. That'd be cool. Jigsaw gets the point for me. Cycle, who do you like here? So this is this is uh, I, I like what you're at. I'm I'm kind of torn here because Jigsaw his, himself, John Kramer himself, as we know, is a, a cancer-ridden old man. So the physical attributes of his ability to fight one-on-one with Freddy would be extremely difficult. So if we put him in any of the other two venues, I think so far, Freddy has an advantage. Um, but like you said, this is a little, this is a little bigger campground. We, we got space to deal with here and Jigsaw's strength outside of his traps is everything's part of his plan. He's never not somewhere where he didn't want to be, even if it looks like he's in a precarious situation. If he's in dream world with Freddy, Freddie should be like, wait, 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 wait. You chose to be here. Right. This is a problem for me. So I, I, I think the venue for me, I think I am leaning towards Jigsaw here because his ability to probably have a bigger space and play with it uh, in a Jeff-type situation in, in Saw 3. Uh, Freddie, as we know, unfortunately for him, he is the most constrained in his abilities outside of his realm. Um, he is only at his best peak performance when he's in the dream world and Springwood. And so I, I think with that being combined uh, with Jigsaw's abilities and the venue, I'm going to go with Jigsaw here too. All right. Jigsaw is advancing, but Brian, of course there is a spread for those at home who bet on this. So who do you like Jigsaw or Freddy Krueger at Camp Crystal Lake? All right, guys, if we really get down and break down Jigsaw, he's a master manipulator, Right. He uses other people as his tool to help set up his traps or even be involved in his traps to help guide his victims to where they need to go. Even if you give Jigsaw three days to basically get Camp Crystal set up ready for him, you have to give Freddy Krueger those same three days to prepare. Fair. Sure. Cycle, you made the point that John Kramer is a weak, cancer-ridden, on-chemo old man. So he's not getting this by himself. He's not setting this his traps up by himself. He's using these other people. These other people have to sleep. That's when Freddy Krueger is going to get them. This is, this is a war that is won or lost before the actual battle. I think I'm going Freddy Krueger here. Oh, so you're saying Freddy's like circumventing the tournament by killing his John Kramer supporters before the game's even played. If you're if you no, are I, giving Jigsaw three like days it. to set it up, oh, I'm not you have that. to give everybody else the same. And that's what I I knew I was going to lose this, but so I stand firm. So he's throwing a punch before the fight, basically. Which again, sure, go for it. Psychological war, war, warfare, hey, man. It happens in fights all the time. Argument. I like this argument. I do too. Good I already job. voted, but I like your argument a lot. <laughs> 
Thank so you. So Jigsaw advances in what I think we all agree would be a very close and interesting matchup by a count of two to one. All right, our last matchup features Hannibal Lecter mm. from the Silence of the Lambs franchise against Michael Myers. Oh my God! From the Halloween franchise. And the venue, which I just randomly drew out of the hat, is one that Brian suggested, The House on Haunted Hill from the 1999 film of the same name. So Hannibal, this is, I think, the toughest one of the first round. Hannibal oh Lecter God. and Michael Myers at the House on Haunted Hill. Banner, since this was your venue, we'll send it to you first. Who you like? I like Michael Myers. The way that he... I, I, okay, first off, let's start out. Is Michael Michael Myers is the toughest motherfucker in this tournament, right? He's just he's he's just a tough dude. You hit him and he keeps on coming. I mean, a lot of similarities between him and Jason in that regard, but yeah, I'd I'd probably have to agree. I would agree. We also know Michael Myers is a extremely extremely strong person, right? Yeah. So I think that those two things parlayed with his ability to really sneak around and hide. We, we already know he can sneak around and hide in a house very, very effectively to kill people. Um, obviously, he is at a house, so there are lots of kitchen knives at his disposal. I think I'm going to go Michael Myers here. Uh, and again, I think it comes a lot down to the venue. I don't think he is as psychologically affected by Hannibal Lecter as some of the other contestants may be. All right, Michael Myers gets the first point. Cycli, do you agree or disagree? Him or Hannibal Lecter at the house on Haunted so, Hill? So I can just say this. Before uh, we recorded this, when we saw the potential matchups, this was the one that I thought would be the hardest uh, because this could easily be a championship matchup. We have Hannibal Lecter, who is probably the smartest serial killer ever. Yes. Uh, yep. The most brilliant. And he does his own. The difference in him and Jigsaw is he does his own killing, right? Yes, right. He, he is physically strong even though he's in the movies he's you know he's he doesn't seem like the strongest but he has been shown to show strength in well, part of that is by design as well part you know, of, yeah absolutely he is a brilliant really psychiatrist doctor and that's his strength and i honestly would put him over every killer on this list except michael myers and only because what is uh what is his greatest strength what is hannibal Lecter's greatest strength is his psychology is his ability to talk and convince people and mess with their minds you know who doesn't listen to anybody no matter what michael myers my michael wife myers might be completely deaf and yeah that too uh, ex-wife ex-wife um and, and so this is why i was like actually what i said like when he said this match i said oh my god because this is almost i feel so bad for hannibal lecter here because he could manipulate anyone and everything yeah but michael myers i feel like is unmanipulatable like I, I i just don't know how because we've seen him in, in halloween movies we've seen him in the most recent halloween movie where we see him in the insane asylum and he's just silent he's not the doctors can't get through to him no it doesn't matter and i get these doctors aren't hannibal lecter capable probably but i just don't see how hannibal lecter if there's anyone to do it it is hannibal i just don't think it's gonna happen so i hate voting against him because i think he's brilliant but I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with uh, Michael. To your point about everyone in this bracket really having a psychological weakness, 
Yeah, I mean, like Jason Voorhees, you could bring up the trauma with his mother and, and getting drowned at the camp. Pennywise might be the only one that I can't think of something for. Chucky, he's a tormented serial killer. Leatherface has his abusive family. John Kramer has his ex-wife and the loss of his son. Freddy Krueger was tortured and burned at the stake. Uh, so all those people Hannibal Lecter could have won the psychological battle with and has enough there physically to still win the battle. Michael Myers, and I don't think actually the venue here plays much of a role um, based on these two because I think this is just a mono e mono. I agree. I, I don't think Michael Myers gives a shit about anything enough to where Hannibal Lecter's biggest weapon he can really use against him. So I hate to make it a clean sweep here, but I also will go Michael Myers. It's, this is a harsh, harsh result for Hannibal. He deserves better in my opinion, but it is the matchup. All right, guys, let's recap here. After the first round, Jason, Leatherface, Freddy Krueger, and Hannibal Lecter all out of the tournament. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Vegas is throwing a fit. Money has been lost. Or money. I would argue almost every one of them would have been going in just on paper, face-to-face, gun to your head, or we're all underdogs who won. The thing is, you could, and again, I, I mean this, you could see a, a version of all four of those exact same characters advancing. Oh, yeah. Sure, sure. They could, yeah, that, that's, that's wild to me. All right, on to the final four. I've already drawn the venue matchups. Our first matchup is Pennywise from It versus Chucky from Child's Play. And this one I'm excited about. They will be fighting each other at the Hotel Overlook from The Shining. So Pennywise versus Chucky at Hotel Overlook from The Shining. Cycli, we will toss it to you first. This is serious here. This is tough. This is tough. Because I don't know if the venue really gives advantage to either of them. I think they both can take advantage, but I don't think it does anything to push one over the other. I think we have to actually break down what everyone's strengths are here. And Pennywise personally doesn't really get physical too much outside of like i don't know what like eating his victims eventually or he's sucking the soul out of them right uh, and chucky is just an evil fuck right like that's all he is he just stabs you a bunch of times um he just stabs you a bunch of times. yeah i don't know why and, and i'm completely torn on this and the i'm gonna be this is gonna be a cop out i'm gonna let the two of you chose I'm going to go with Chucky here because of the house, the venue. I'm thinking about that little kid riding that tricycle yep. in The Shining. And the, I thought of Chucky doing that same exact thing. And he's wielding his knife. <laughs> and I, I'm just going to go with Chucky here because I don't think Pennywise can scare Chucky because Chucky is evil. Pennywise preys on good. He tricks people with that like desire Chucky's not going to fall for that. I don't think even Chucky... I was surprised because I didn't even put Chucky in the top four of this list at I all. Know. But here he is. I'm about to vote for him. I think Chucky pulls his off. Penny doesn't tempt him. Chucky wins this. Chucky looking at pulling off a George Mason type. Unbelievable. Chucky. I'm, I don't even stand Chucky. And here we are. My no, God. I don't either. But yeah, again, craziness is, is happening here. All right, Banner. Chucky's up 1-0. He's fighting Pennywise at the Hotel Overlook. Who do you like? So I'm kind of in the same boat as you, Cycli. I think when we look at Pennywise's strength, he feeds on the good and he shapeshifts to manipulate his victims. 
right? More or less. That may be a little bit of an oversimplification, but more or less, that is what Pennywise's MO is, right? Mm-hmm. And Chucky just runs at you, guns a-blazing with a fucking knife and stabs you 47 times in the throat. That, to me, just seems like somebody that is so mentally unstable that they're probably seeing their dead mom or, you know, all the things that Pennywise can turn into and manipulate them with. Chucky's seeing without Pennywise even there, so it's not going to phase him. And his natural reaction is to just, well, I'm just going to kill everything that I don't like. And... For that regard, I think I'm going to go Chucky. I agree. I think the venue on this one doesn't matter. Um, I think that this could have been uh, played in the hallway of my high, my old high school, and Chucky would have won. I uh, I agree. The venue probably doesn't matter here, although I think it's just a really creepy and awesome setting, so it's kind of fun to picture. And yeah, I'll just, again, not to be uh, undramatic, but I'll kind of echo everything you said. Pennywise, if he were to to go against someone where he can really take advantage of their sort of uh, mortal mortality, I guess, or their conscience, like a Michael Myers, a Jason Voorhees, a Jigsaw, a Hannibal Lecter, perhaps. But Chucky, all those strings that Pennywise wants to pull on aren't aren't attached to anything. He's just as psychotic, and while he's not physically imposing, maybe to the level of some of those other guys, I, uh, it's like Pennywise is throwing fastballs and Chucky's like a dude that can only hit the fastball, you know, he just eats them up. So venue really non-factor, like you guys both said, Chucky in a clean sweep, man. And surprisingly it's surprising. Yeah. Chucky and, fans, and the thing is they're going wild. I was going to say book not, your tickets to mortal Kombat fight Island. Cause you're in the championship. You, you could not write a script like this. It, 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 it's it's so funny because I was, I was anticipating. I love, I was excited about some manipulative matchups. I was thinking about a Hannibal or uh, a Jigsaw with some of these characters because they would be able to fuck with them. Same with Pennywise and a Hannibal. Like, imagine that. Imagine that. But here we are, and and, and you know we can't we can't make it up. Chucky is in the championship, and good for him. Yeah, kind of kind of came out of nowhere to be honest. I mean, he's like that eight seed that like you know won some big non-conference games and stuff, but you never really thought he'd end up here. And now look where we're at. He's the eight seed that the 16 seed just beat the one and they get to go against the 16 seed. And he's like, oh, my God. <laughs> right. And perfectly. also looking at looking at our scoring, uh, Chucky has got one with three O victories, both against Leatherface and Pennywise. So no one voted for him. to. He's lose. not just winning like he's running through people like you can't. Nobody's going to be able to deny he doesn't deserve to be there. And you know he's such a cocky fuck in the movies, too. Like, he's oh, he's letting everybody talker. know. Like, he is all over. He's. Man. Picture his post-game interviews, you know, after he, he's standing over Pennywise's corpse. I would watch that. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> That'd be great. All right, our last matchup. It is Jigsaw, a.k.a. John Kramer, taking on Michael Myers in The Valley from The Hills Have Eyes. Ooh. Which I have to say, one of the creepiest fucking movies I've ever seen in my life. Um, all right. Who went first last time? I did. Okay. Banner, who do you like here? Jigsaw or Michael Myers in that creepy-ass valley? So, I really like to imagine what Jigsaw can come up with here, right? I mean, he has a clean slate. He can bring in whatever he needs. With that being said, like, 
is he going to be able to trick Michael Myers into something? His whole thing is that his vic- or uh, Jigsaw's whole thing is that his victims have the opportunity to escape if they do what Jigsaw says. Michael Myers is big enough, powerful enough, where I think he may just be able to just take some of the torture tricks that Jigsaw is throwing at him. I, again, I just think he is so physically imposing mm-hmm. that. Jigsaw's traps may not necessarily be able to hold him. And if we stick to the three days uh, timetable that Jigsaw has to get everything ready, I don't think Michael Myers is going to take advantage of that the way Freddy Krueger would have. Um, But just logistically, Jigsaw is not going to be able to get that valley set up to the best that he could in three days to get Michael Myers, the cream of the crop. Michael Myers wins it. All right, Michael Myers of 1-0. Cycling, what say you? All right, here we go. I, I'm actually going to go with Jigsaw here, and here's why. So what was Hannibal Lecter's strength? Psychology and mm-hmm. ability to get into one's minds. And Michael Myers doesn't really listen. Now, Jigsaw has that ability, not as strongly, but Jigsaw has other abilities that where, where Hannibal Lecter can't take advantage of. And I think this venue actually helps Jigsaw, because what is Michael Myers? He's slow. He just walks, right? He doesn't sprint. And he's also been caught many times in the Halloween movies in traps. And he's not a good thinker. He's not smart. He's just True. persistent. And he is strong and he's resilient, but he does get fooled. And so I think being in a valley, in, the, in this valley, helps Jigsaw a lot. Because one, if there's distance, Michael Myers is going to take a long time. He never sprints. You never see him hurry. So that gives Jigsaw even more time to work with, the, with his surroundings. And I think because Michael Myers has been duped before, Jigsaw can come up with something, especially in a valley, something with rocks or something getting in like, you know, a specific place that Michael Myers not necessarily even dies in, but gets stuck in and can't get out of. That's almost a better way because Michael Myers really can't be killed. But if you get him stuck in a location and if there's a some, you know, trick or trap that a rock all of a sudden closes Michael Myers in. And, you know, then, then I, I think that's where Jigsaw has the advantage here. And it's something that uh, Hannibal Lecter didn't. So I'm going to throw this to you, uh, Jeff, that uh, you're going to be the tiebreaker here because I'm going with Jigsaw over Michael Myers in this venue. I will say this. Michael Myers, like, obviously, as I don't I won't even say a high pain tolerance. I don't even think he feels pain. <laughs> I mean, like some of the things that he has endured, like pretty much everything possible and i don't even think one time you've heard him go oh fuck i did that one time he stepped on a lego though he was like god damn it well yeah i mean he's well, obviously no nobody can stand up on a lego and not say something could you imagine in the new movie if they did that <laughs> like the only time he's ever I said need five i need five he it likes the amazing. peter griffin <sighs> so in this instance i I kind of agree with Cycli. We have seen enough times in his movies. Like even Laurie Strode has set up some really last minute makeshift traps and they have given Michael Myers fits. Now the venue I'm the venue is where I kind of disagree with Ronnie because I feel like in the valley it's a little more wide open. I think Jigsaw need like if you look at where he's historically trapped his victims, obviously the movies have gotten a little bit more ridiculous as time has gone on. But initially it was small close quarters rooms where he knows exactly what they're going to interact with to set off the traps but i feel like with michael myers he can lay the metaphorical or possibly even literal 
breadcrumbs and get this guy to go wherever he wants as long as Michael Myers feels like that bloodlust is going to be satisfied at the end. The issue is, and this is where it's almost like unfair to put Michael Myers in this tournament, in having a tournament to the death, I mean, we've seen time and again nothing can kill him, but I also think that's very applicable to a lot of people in this tournament. So, like, you could No, but that's really more of a financial decision than anything <laughs> yeah. else. Right, that's true, yeah. Why, why kill him when we can make 11 more of these? Although I do love how Friday the 13th Part 6 is called The Final Chapter, and then there's like 11 after that. Um, same with Saw. Same Saw, with Saw has that too, yeah. Yeah, they're all epilogues, okay? Just... Right. Um, but I think because of the fact that Jigsaw's the thing he would take advantage of most is something Michael Myers has shown uh, an aptitude to being weak in, which is intelligence. I'm going to have to go with Jigsaw here, although I do think the venue makes this one a little bit tricky for me. But Jigsaw advances. By you told me thought. these two are in the finals. <laughs> no so way. So fucking wrong. I never saw a scenario where this was the final. <laughs> I know. I and did, so like, the matchups in my head. The championship of fictional character fights three, and we always put it in Roman numerals because I make it makes me feel like they're pay-per-views. Our horror movie killers is, of course, Chucky from Child's Play and Jigsaw from the Saw franchise. And they are fighting, as has become tradition, on Mortal Kombat Fight Island. Basically, the most neutral of environments. You can get a yardstick margarita from the margaritaville hut that is nearby buy a t-shirt and then go watch the fight so cycli will go to you first chucky or jigsaw who's going to come out on top in not only this matchup but in the tournament i want to i just want to preface this this is not an official like we think the winner of this is the greatest killer in horror movie history because this has gone so differently than what i thought it was going to go which yeah. i love this is this is why we do this kind of thing it's so much fun uh but I mean, for me to even say Jigsaw or Chucky are the greatest horror movie killers, it, it, it's just crazy it's just that they're both right. here. It's just not right. And first of all, they both are just thankful they're there, right? Like pre-game <laughs> conf- press conference, they're like, "Hey, we're thrilled. This is big for our fan base. This is the first time." We're Huge for our program and recruiting. Yeah. yeah, fans have turned out. Everyone traveled. They bought the packages. They're going out on the town. It, it's it's just a fantastic environment because. They're just appreciative of the time. They just understand that they normally wouldn't be here. And so I'm happy to see the underdogs in this. Um, and then we got to talk about venue because I do think this neutral venue actually is uh, majorly impactful. And and I hate to say it, but I think it's advantage Chucky because we have this neutral venue. And in Jigsaw, the other venues and why Jigsaw made it here were places and venues where he had either time or ability to put to push these characters into their own uh, traps. There is no trap ability here on Mortal Kombat Island, right? Like it's just it is just mono a mono in a in a two D fight frame. Like you, there's nothing yeah. that you can jigsaw can do here. And again, now we're talking about if you're breaking this down into physical a physical fight, there's there's not a debate, and and that's the thing. You have a doll versus a cancer ridden old man. <laughs> How are we doing this? But the doll has a knife. Oh, what a weird fight. Anyway. And, and I think the advantage is Chucky isn't a child strength. He is adult strength. He does have abilities. He is quick. And again, he is someone who just why he beat Penny, Pennywise. He, he doesn't give a shit about the psyche. Pet, J- Jigsaw would try to delay this. He would try to talk to him. 
he would try to come up with a plan. I don't think Chucky would give a shit. And it, it, I think Chucky's just going to stab the cancer in an old man a bunch and kill him. <laughs> that may be the <laughs> best line from the podcast ever. I just think Chucky is going to stab the cancer-ridden old man a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> Write it down. I'm going Chucky. All right, Chucky gets a point. Banner, who do I you like? Your, God, I would vote for Chucky every time. Uh, actually, let me go second because I want to introduce an X factor that I don't think uh, I like. Please, because I'm so torn. I, I need. Go ahead. All right, so we're assuming that these characters get like what's in their repertoire, right? Like Jason gets the machete and Chucky gets yeah. the knife and things like that. Well, lest we forget, fighting against a toy. Jigsaw has maybe the creepiest doll in the history of dolls in Billy the Puppet. And when Billy rides out on his tricycle with a little spiral on his cheeks, I think Chucky kind of fucking loses it. And I think he loses his edge. He sees someone that he sees as one of his own. He doesn't know what's going on. He's obviously scared to death. And we know he's mentally unstable. I think that's where Jigsaw begins to win the psychological warfare. And when I look at Chucky... Although he has still the strength of a normal-sized human, Jigsaw could rig him up in one of his traps pretty easily. It's not like it's not as hard as trapping a Michael Myers or a Leatherface or a Jason Voorhees for him. It's someone very tiny and very stupid, as we've seen from his films, and very immobile as well. So between Billy the Puppet and just Jigsaw's mental superiority, again, I don't think the venue helps him, but I also don't think it hurts him too much. So. I'm going to go Jigsaw with a huge, I think Billy the Puppet is the MVP and the one who, like, they're spraying the champagne on in the locker room after the game. Sixth man of the year. Yeah. He's, he's like Danny Green, who just, or like Robert Ory. Just had a great finals. <laughs> really helped out. So I'll go Jigsaw, 1-1. One, one. Banner. Wow. So the venue is Mortal Kombat Fight Island, right? The island isn't just, like, a ring. It's a whole island. They've got hotels. They have to house the training facility. It's more than just the ring that they, quote-unquote, fight in. Again, very early on in this tournament, we gave Jigsaw three days to get prepared. Chucky is in and out of the training. We know we know he's the first one in the gym, last one to leave. Jim Coach's son. son. Yeah. So he's out, (laughs) he's out, you know, getting his gains in jigsaw can very easily rig something up for his hotel room or even that treadmill may have a disastrous accident. Oh, so you don't think Chucky's out at the bar with a couple groupies like the night before, you know, he's drinking like, you know what I'm going to do to jigsaw tomorrow. I'm going to beat him hung (laughs) over. I think that Chucky again, he swept his way. We don't know what he's like uh, with adversity. This is the first point, Jeff. You gave the first point against Chucky in this tournament, and I don't think that they. I don't think that Chucky has the mental capacity and the mental fortitude to be able to afford a loss like that. And I think Jigsaw just has the tools at his disposal. Um, again, he's used to dealing with dolls, like you said, with Billy the the doll and his fucking tricycle. I just think he has that experience in his back pocket. I, I don't know how I'm going to say this, but I think Jigsaw wow. takes it. Man, big moment. for Wow. 
So the Sports Illustrated commercial comes on. <laughs> Jigsaw fans, you just won the championship. John Kramer, what are you going to do now? I'm going to Disney World. But actually, no, I have. And kill everyone. Yeah. Disney is the most evil corporation. I'm going to take them down. I've already taken down insurance companies. Now I'm coming for the mouse. All right. Well, I got to say, in in a shocker, and I know Cycling and I were kind of hoping it would happen, but didn't. We loved it, man. I love it. Oh, yeah. Probably my favorite of all the movies on this list. Um, Jigsaw wins fictional character fights three or horror movie killers tournament. You know, you know, in the sorry. I was going to, before we let the people go, final thoughts. So, Psyche, we'll turn it over to you. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, in the post game, like John Kramer's like, I didn't want to win this. This isn't, a, I, I've never actually killed anyone. I didn't kill any of these people. They all killed themselves. They're like, okay, well, then you don't get the championship. They're like, well, no, no, you, you, you did kill. No, no, no. They killed themselves. He takes a sip of those me. Gatorades that they set in front of him and, and also glory to God. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine him getting Gatorade poured over him? He's like, oh, God. I cannot. Yeah, <laughs> no, man. Congratulations to, to John Kramer. He, he was due a win. Also, they got to ask John Kramer, Brian, like, hey, you're getting up there in years. Are you going to come back next year and try and repeat? Uh, you know, I'm just going to enjoy this win right now. Um, and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll figure out we'll figure all that out next week. Yeah, that's perfect. Coaches speak. Yeah. All right. Well, that is it. Jigsaw. I, I would say I'll link the bracket below, but I don't want people to click it while we're debating and then see the. Can we can we go around really quickly and see if there was a matchup you guys wanted to see that we didn't? Ooh, that's a good one. Do you have one off the top of your head? You want I, to I was with? wanting to see a psychological battle between Hannibal and, and Jigsaw. Yeah, that would have I thought been that would have been I thought that would have been a fun one, and I thought it'd been fun to see like a Jason Voorhees versus Michael Myers type thing. Like getting these people where they're absolutely at their strengths against someone who's absolutely at their strength. We saw a lot of matchups that I think were, you know, were able to go and attack someone's weaknesses. Like I think it was very easy for a lot of these characters to win. Like we saw the Chucky's get sweeping its way into the finals. I, we didn't get to see some of these really intriguing matchups, which you know. I, I think like Pennywise and Freddy Krueger would be a very interesting. They're one. very similar. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good point. Yeah, I think this. The interesting thing about this bracket is we can literally do this again. Oh yeah, exactly. Re- reshuffle them. I, yeah. Well, let's just do it every Halloween. We'll put some new entrants and and then in the ninth year this the this year and the next eight years will create the seating right oh i love it and then the ninth year they get seated in what we have deemed jigsaw's wow. like what the fuck i just won the only one and now all of a sudden this is we just signed up for a super league he still gets a banner that's all that matters i do think this tournament's interesting because you can probably divide like at a macro level every horror movie killer in this into two groups right there's the physical and then there's the the psychological or the mental mm-hmm. and when those two worlds collide it becomes such an interesting conversation and venues was a huge thing here i i think Absolutely. like uh pennywise would not have moved on if it wasn't for the fact they were in the bathroom same with chucky saw. and same, same with, with chucky. chucky initially mm-hmm. put put chucky in the valley put chucky at crystal lake he's done He's done yeah. immediately. 100%. I agree. And let us know in the comments if there's any really glaringly obvious killers we missed or any venues that we should do next time. Because I think the venues, unlike most of these fights in this, have a huge uh, impact on the winner. The hardest one, I think, is Ghostface from Scream. Because technically, Ghostface is many killers. 
Right. Um, I I thought about you know we we talked about that one. Um, but that I wanted to say that on the podcast because I feel like we'll get that comment is where scream. But yeah, Ghostface is is really multiple killers and also the clumsiest killer there is. Let's just be honest. Yeah, I also wanted to put the people from The Strangers in this, but then I didn't know if it'd be fair to have like three people as one. Well, yeah, I think next year we can possibly go groups of people, like groups Ooh. of killers. We could do a tag team tournament where we randomly group two killers together. Love it. <laughs> I would love to see the, like the stories we create, like they're like the locker room conversations yeah. between Jason and Michael Myers on the same team. Are they unstoppable? No, uh, but I think no. I mean. Yeah, again, they're just like the team that's physically imposing, but if you have a lot of speed, you know. That locker room would be so quiet. <laughs> that's true. Like they very would never come up with a game quiet. plan. No, none of them and would say anything. They're both like reading separate books, not talking to each other. It's like, what? Uh, they don't like each other. All right, moving on to the second part of our show is our protein shake, where we go around and talk about what's in our cup. Also known as, what have we watched lately? I have five things, but I can talk about most of these relatively quick, although two of mine that are Halloween-themed, I would like to, if you guys have any thoughts, I want to discuss them. Um, Brian, are you caught up on What If? Of course. Okay, perfect. So we can save those for the end. Uh, let's go around Robin. Each of us reveal a thing we've watched um, in succession. Brian, why don't we start with you? What's in your cup? What have you watched lately? Uh, so as I've said in the last few, um, working through the MCU in release order, uh, finished out Endgame. Uh, again, guys, just a great culmination of what they were able to do over the previous 10 years. Then I am balls deep in WandaVision right now. Yeah. I have not gone back to watch it. <sighs> Maybe it, it's, it's, well, it's a say, lot harder to get into. Really? I was thinking it might be less frustrating because part of the things we got upset about were all of our big predictions that ended up to not come to fruition. I think the problem is, is that those first three episodes, even the first time through, were really hard to get to. Through, the right? first we two had, were horrible, I The thought. first two were so bad, and then that third one just barely gave us enough for me to keep going and right. be like, all right, we did that. Once you get to four and five, and the Malcolm in the Middle episode is the one that I just watched, that one's a good one, the Halloween episode. Uh, it's just, it's really slow getting going. And that's not something I necessarily remembered the first time through watching it. I will say it's going to take me, you know, Ralph Boner, I'm, it's eerily similar to the Mandarin in the MCU for me. So it's going to take me a long time to get over that. Yeah. That's one that, uh, that character was just introduced and it's, yeah, I'm not, not loving it, not loving it. All right. Cycling, what's in your cup? What have you watched lately? So I started Midnight Mass on Netflix. Um, this, you know, as everyone knows, love scary, love horror. Um, saw this added on trailer. I didn't really watch the trailer. I, I don't really like knowing too much of plots before I start, at least in the horror genre, because sometimes they reveal way too much in the trailers or descriptions and tend to ruin them. Um, and so I was especially intrigued because of the creators, which is uh, Mike Flanagan and his wife, I believe, is Katie Siegel, Kate Siegel. And if you don't know those names, you might know the movie Hush, which mm. I think uh, we've talked about on the podcast. Scary shit. Uh, one of my favorite horror movies in just terms of originality, because it, it brings a new, you know, if you don't know it, it's basically like Strangers meets a deaf woman. And 
I, I just love the concept because it's nothing you would ever thought of before. Seeing someone who's deaf dealing with the home invasion and the way she has to protect herself. Um, so Kate Siegel or Seigel is the actress in that movie. And her and her husband wrote it together. They also did, um, or at least directed some of, and, and Kate uh, acted in The Haunting of Hill House, um, which was a show on Netflix, which I've never been as big of a super uh, natural horror fan. I do like them, but they've never really like gotten to me. This is a, I've always said, like, if you get through the series, it's extremely well written and well, uh, well done. It's very well filmed. Uh, the acting and the kid acting is phenomenal. I absolutely love the season. There's Haunting of Bly Manor, which is the second season. It's still really good. Kate's also in it. Not as scary. So that's why I was like, leading all into Midnight Mass. Once I saw them on the title card, I was sold. I, you know, I've given them chances. They've always uh, made me really happy about it. Um, I'm four episodes in into a seven episode story arc. It is not a series. It is a it is a one is one season and done. Um, and okay. so that's good to know. They're not going to like hang, you know, so I've read that they don't, it doesn't end on a cliffhanger and they're leading to something else. It's going to answer all the questions. First, I'll say this. We were told, I was told from someone who'd seen it, that it was extremely creepy and scary four episodes in not very scary. I wouldn't say um, not. There's some creepy elements. There's some dark themes, obviously, uh, but it's more of an intriguing storyline. I think that's what's been uh, what's Mike and Kate have done really well is they they don't they don't cheapen horror. They make well-rounded, deep characters, um, and they and they give it thought, right? Like because horror can be done really poorly, but if we're honest with ourselves, so there's still three episodes I think to go for me. Um, I would recommend it. I'm still I don't know where it's going. There's part of me that is really liking it, and there's part of me that's like, am I wasting my time? So I, I feel like if it ends strong, I'm going to look back and be like recognize and love the journey. Whereas right now it's like, there's so much I I'm not sure about. So we'll see. I'm excited about it. Definitely going to keep watching midnight mass on Netflix, but it is definitely like supernatural horror. Would you say, or is it still a little too early to tell exactly? It's still early to tell because there's a lot of religious elements. So right. right now what we're seeing is like, this isn't a spoiler because obviously you're watching it as a priest involved. It's, it's an island. It's an isolated island of like a population of 120. So everyone knows everyone. And this new priest comes to their church. Um, and there's like, you can call them miracles. There's odd things happening, mm-hmm. right? We haven't, there's not like, let's say this, we haven't seen ghosts. There's not like things like that. It, it's a question of, you know, if you're going to consider religious elements supernatural and there's a debate to be had there. So that's what I'll say is it might be leading to that. There's also physical elements too. Um, but, but that's what I've liked about it. It doesn't just throw it in your face on what it is. It builds slowly. And that's what haunting of Hill house and hush did too. I was just looking at the cast list. Mark, Michael Truco plays someone named Wade Scarborough in this. And he is Nick in how I met your mother, Robin Shabatsky's boyfriend for about two seasons. Holy shit. That is him. Yeah, I don't know what he looks I, like I, on the show. He but. has a mustache on the show. I would have never, ever okay. thought that was him. That's so funny. Yeah, I saw him and he looked familiar, and I was like, that's Nick, right? Yeah, that I will say they use a lot of the same people. That they, the, the Hunting of Hill House use the same people in the, Bly, the Hunting of Bly Manor, and there's a lot of the same actors in this movie as well. Or this show as well, sorry. Cool. Um, all right, I, let me, I'll just get two of these things out because both of them kind of apply. I watched... Uh, a movie in a genre that I think Cycli and I are unapologetically huge fans of 
Um, so the screen life genre, right? If, if those of you don't know at home, those are movies that take place holistically from the view of screens, be it computers, cell phones, tablets. Some some uh, entries to the genre are um, the Unfriended series. What's the Completely one? Completely with- underrated films, by the way. And thanks to you that I actually watched them. Yeah, I love this. It was like Black something. Uh, Well, there's Unfriended and Unfriended Dark Web. Unfriended Dark Web, I think, is the superior entry. But I think my favorite movie in the screen life genre is Searching with John Cho, which Cycle and I actually did a review on. A movie that I loved. I can't remember. Did you like Searching, Cycle? Yeah, yeah. I think that's what makes these movies... Like they can be done terribly, but you have to give a lot of care, like care into these and they do them well. Yes. So Safer at Home is a Hulu original a screen life horror movie, we'll call it. And it's eerily uh, relatable for us. It's about a group of late 20s, early 30s friends who are stuck at home during the pandemic and they haven't been able to see each other for a little while. So they all decide to do like a Zoom call or a Skype call together one night and they're all drinking And something happens while they're on the Skype call together. An accident happens to one of them and things begin to go off the rails and secrets begin to come out among the friends that due to the pandemic, like either haven't been discussed or fully fleshed out and people begin to turn on each other. And I think the one thing that I have to say I love about screen life films in general is there is no alternative to fast pacing. Right. Because things have to basically take place in real time. You have to get right into the story and we have to get our plot reveals very quickly, which I always appreciate. Screen life movies don't drag because they can't. And Safer at Home, while it's definitely not like a masterpiece in filmmaking in the genre, I think it has a lot of the things that I like about it, which is it feels like it's kind of in the real world. Uh, it takes a few twists and turns, and there's something about a way to build drama through like the medium of like Skype calls and emails and stuff like that. Like, there's so many ways that like a director can introduce plot elements, like oh, you got an email or a text pops up that only we can see as the audience or something like that. And they do a lot of really cool stuff with that. Now, the like last ten minutes. It gets a little bit crazy because people are like carrying their phones around, still on the Skype call. When I'm like, you would not be still talking to your friends right now. Uh, but Safer at Home, I would recommend, and it's like 85 minutes. So if you like screen life movies and you're in the mood for like a – it's like a good – it's Halloween, guys. Yeah, exactly. Fuck it's October. Just watch it. Give this shit a chance. Uh, last one I'll mention in this go-round is uh, House on Haunted Hill. Love it. Which I don't think I had seen this movie. Um, I wanted to watch a scary movie a few weeks ago. It's on HBO Max. I saw uh, Jeffrey Rush was in it, who um, I think is an underrated actor. I think he's incredible in like the Pirates of the Caribbean movies and the King's Speech and even even like Mystery Men. But this movie is just so early 2000s that it it hurt. It hurt me. Um, <laughs> the plot is so ridiculous. Like if this ever scared anyone. <laughs> I don't really know what to tell you, man. I mean, like, here's how you have to gauge it. I saw this probably 99, 2000, 2001, right around when it first came out. We all know I don't like scary movies. I don't, I obviously for the tournament today, I had seen most of those 
just because they're such popular and iconic uh, franchises. House on Haunted Hill never scared me. I mean, there was a few times where it, like, made me jump, like that jump scare. But I was also, like, 10. So. Well, I, I need to ask it. How seriously do you want us to take you? Because Chris Kattan is sort of the gateway to the audience. Getting <laughs> Anyone want it. my cookies or whatever? <laughs> yeah. You guys want some cookies? Cookies? <laughs> That's and the only Chris, thing I think of with him. Chris Kattan is utterly ridiculous in it. The premise, though, is kind of cool. I'll just say the premise and then take it off air because I do think this is something uh, likely would be a good movie commentary for Halloween. Um, but the, yeah. the premise is there is a house that is haunted. On a on hill. hill. Although, actually, Banner, it's not a house, is it? It's an insane asylum. It's an insane asylum. Okay, that's, that's I guess, my one issue. I mean, and, technically, <laughs> technically insane people, it is their home, so... Wow. Okay. House is where the heart is. Home is. Yeah. Live, laugh, love. Yeah. Obviously. Um, and I, what's it like? Seven people are said if they stay a night in the house and survive, they get I don't know two million dollars. Something and, ridiculous. And off we go. So pretty decent premise. Decent cast: Famke Jansen, Ali Larder, um, like your kind of your who's who of early two thousands. But overall, an absolutely atrocious movie. House on Haunted Hill. I watch it every every October. It's it, it's a, it's to me, it's one of the good bad movies. Yeah, tis the season. Banner, what else you got? Uh, we, I'm only one episode in, but only murderers in this building. Uh, this is the Steve I Martin. I really want to watch this show. Steve Martin, I believe, Selena Gomez and Martin Short, and basically a, they all live in the same building, the Arcadia uh, in New York, and. Maybe Arcadia. They, uh, <laughs> uh, there is a murder in their building, and basically they're going to start a podcast, like a true crime podcast, and follow the story as it unfolds, basically, in their apartment. Um, like I said, I'm only one episode in. I don't love it yet, but I see so much potential in it. They had to set things up and, you know... The the pilot episodes for me are always you you got to give a show three episodes because that pilot episode they're feeling things out and they have so much ground to lay before they can really get into things. Um, I can see the potential of where this season is going or where the show is going and I'm, it, it excites me. It excites me. It's good to see Steve Martin back on the screen again too. Oh, agreed. Let me just ask you this because my interest is very high on this show. Would you say what percentage would you say it is mystery versus comedic, like 50, 50, 60, 40? Uh, so far, I'd say it's probably 50, 50. It's really hard because, again, they're laying so many they're laying so many foundations for these characters and why they're they're there and kind of their situations. So it's it's hard to say there really isn't a ton of comedy in this first episode. If I'm, if I'm not gonna lie, okay. can I ask a question? Um, no. I I can love. Damn it, never mind. Oh. Uh, I can love Martin Short. But I can also hate Martin Short. Like you're, you're gonna hate him. I, I, he, as long as he he can be hilarious to me. Like he really can if he's reined in in the right place. Yes. How is it? But if he sometimes he can just go off in weird places. Um, I think he's a guy's a genius, but he just needs control. Where is he at in this? How is he in this? He is. Like half a bottle of rose away from being really bad. Wow. Okay. 
But he's riding that fence so good. Like I said, it's hard to judge off of just one episode. I, I okay. consider not even saying anything, but I this obviously we're talking about horror. There's a murder in this. It's kind of just goes along with the theme of it. Uh, and it was also um, recommended to me by uh, Thurman. So comes on good recommendation. It, I don't even remember where I'm going with this now. I'm just babbling at this point. Well, Thurman's got a pretty spotless show recommendation. Record. He's, yeah, he's when he recommends it and he has his stamp of approval, you know it's going to be it's where it, it holds a lot more weight than mine, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, Cycle, what else you got? Well, I, I know I've mentioned on the show uh, many times, um, we are one episode left away from the season finale of Ted Lasso. Um, Just started it. I am seven episodes in. Oh, wait, you are seven episodes in. What do you think? I love it. Oh, my God. How do you not like smiling the whole time? Yeah, it's great. I mean, I think it's like the show that we need in these times. Yeah. Um, The episode I just finished, I was dying laughing and my wife had no idea what I was laughing about. It's where Ted Lasso just repeats the whole Allen Iverson practice speech to Jamie in the locker room. Not a game, not a game, not a game. There's so many references in the show that he does that are sporting references that you know that people who just enjoy it for a comedy are not getting, and I love it. Um, and I, say, I don't like talk about having just a great. Uh, sorry to cut you off, but like a great. No, please. A, like knowing how to market a show in 2021, the social media presence of this show, like all the characters have fake Twitter accounts. Yeah. And AFC Richmond has a fake Twitter account. Like it's how much do you love viral. Keely though? Keely's amazing, isn't she? Dude, so I have honestly not been a big Juno Temple fan in really anything um, up until this point. Like, I guess The Dark Knight Rises is the thing I've liked her most in. But <laughs> this is like her coming out party for me. Yeah. Like, I'm so glad that she's in this. She's and it's such and a, her and Roy Kent. God. Yeah, such a much – well, yeah, like that's that's sort of just starting where we're at. But she's awesome. Yeah, it's it's – uh, again, I will tell everyone it, it, it was a perfect COVID show because when we were surrounded by so much like, you know, darkness in like on the Internet and in life, it really is. I've, I've said this many times. It's just a wholesome comedy. Like you can't not like it. It's addictive in that sense. Um, it, it, it's not a soccer show. It's, it's a show that just revolves around it. And uh, it's just so happy. So this second season, I'm not going to spoil anything for anyone, obviously. Um, but what I will say is. This is there's a three season story arc that was created by Bill Lawrence and Jason Sudeikis. They had three seasons planned. This is the Empire Strikes Back from they, what they've said. And oh, this season is a wow. very it, it, while the first season is just like almost as like you're just smiling literally the whole time because it's just not only funny, but it's just like it's wholesome. Um, this season has that same type of humor, but they've taken different elements into real life especially in the sporting world what we're seeing with like simone and things like that and mental health issues and things like that where they are really opening up on what it's like to be in this world and it still has that kind of sense of comedy and happiness to it but the writers have gone deep deep into these issues so there are they have definitely been exploring um, a lot of darkness at the same time, like, which is Empire Strikes Back, right, does in Star Wars, um, it, it doesn't leave you sometimes smiling the same way you do in season one. I'm still enjoying it, but it does feel like they're building to something here that you probably didn't anticipate. This whole season, you've been wondering where they're building to. Uh, we're one episode away now, so um, the, the way the last episode ended, I will say, was very, like, 
oh man, here we go. This is going to be interesting. Oh, wow. um, so I, I love it. It, it is it is a little different from season one in a good way. If there's someone I trust, it's who, who does comedy and emotion better than Bill Lawrence? Because Scrubs, I will I've said it one time. I've said it a thousand times. There's no show better in terms of the comedic value that just can wrench your heart than oh, yeah. Scrubs. And yeah. and he knows how to make comedy just still happy, but still make it real. And that's what Ted Lasso is. And the, definitely the second season we're feeling. So one episode left. Watch Ted Lasso if you have it. You're doing yourself a disservice if you're not watching it. And Bill Lawrence comedies to me have an earnestness where it doesn't feel like he gives you the character stuff to try and be like, OK, hey, I want, just want you to like this guy so I can tug on this emotional thread. It feels like he's honestly interested in selling you a bill of goods in a character that is true yeah you know and and just wait i'm this isn't a spoiler just wait to see what you if how you feel about jamie tart and and season two what his his character is in season two and like the things he does with these characters it, it yeah every character even if there's something one episode there's depth to everyone and he just knows how to build a character um and and focus on them even when they're the main character so it, he does a great job of it yeah, the episode we were just on is where they have to get rid of the curl, the Mexican player that just transferred in. And Jimmy Tart, yeah. before he burns his cleats, gives, or his boots, as they called, gives like a sort of a brief like description of his relationship with his dad and mom. And I can already tell him, like, well, there's a lot to mine here whenever you guys decide to get to it. Yeah. It's going to be Don't you love Danny Rojas, though? <laughs> Football is life. I think He's my so favorite great. quote so far from the series is episode one. Someone asked Ted Lasso, do you believe in ghosts? And he goes, oh, I definitely. Yeah, I do. But I also think they should believe in themselves. <laughs> That's everything you know, need to know about the show. I've yeah, watched the right first there. episode, loved it. And then life got in the way and I haven't gotten a chance to go back. The way that it's described to me is it, it seems very much you guys can. I know, uh, Jeff, you've watched all of that 70s show. That 70s show wasn't great because it was set in the 70s. It just happened to be set in the 70s, which really added to the value of the show. But it could have been set present day or in the 90s or in the 50s, and it still would have been a great show. Kind of seems yeah. like that's the same kind of the same boat that Ted Lasso is. It's, it's exactly like soccer to me is that like, like it's awesome that he's a soccer coach. As a soccer fan, I love it. But. Soccer is not why you love this show or why you wouldn't like this show. That's that has nothing to do with it, right? Like at the end of the day, um, especially in the second season. I mean, we get like ten seconds of soccer in the second season, so it is a character show, and it, the setting is just you know is part of it. I think you could even argue the way that the show is written is like it's probably more for the casual American fan that knows nothing about soccer. Yeah, and like I love how they sort make of... fun of it. Yeah, right. That's the jumping off point. Um, all right, Banner, you got anything else? You just want to talk the last two what ifs? Oh, oh, yeah. All I got is the last few what ifs. Do you want to just start with what if Thor was an only child? Sure. What'd you think? Uh, my second least favorite episode of the series. I was glad. I mean, again, the voice acting coming back is really cool. Hemsworth just was not comedically working for me here. I don't know who. I feel like. Like, I will say this, the writers for some of these, like, it's not up to par with some of the MCU shows in terms of the comedy. But I think some of the concepts are really fucking cool. But again, the jokes just don't hit with a lot of it. And this one, like, to, the way they wrote Jane Foster, she was like this fucking pathetic 
I don't know. Like uh, loves I strub. This is hair. probably my this is my least favorite. I thought that none of it worked. I think that this on paper looks like a good idea and they just forced it through instead of really thinking out like is this a good idea is how is this going to play and i don't think it played well at all i thought it fucking sucked no i will say the cool element is like seeing thor not have loki as his counterbalance growing up like how it changes who he is as a person is really interesting i agree but we don't need 35 minutes of that no and again as has been the case with like four out of the seven of these the last scene, which is a non sequitur, basically, it has nothing to do with the episode, is the most interesting part of it. Yeah, I think what they did is once the season was done and they said about to release it, they go, wow, this episode kind of sucks. Hey, let's put an opening scene or this other scene from the It's Ultron 1 episode and put it at the end as an end credit scene almost in this one to keep people interested. Because I think... If you give people, like, these episodes that don't end, how are you going to keep their attention? Well, let's tease the next episode, which, in my mind, is probably the best one yet. Yeah, I mean, let's just jump right into that. So the last episode of What If, and Cycle, if you're not familiar, this is the Marvel Cinematic Universe animated series where they revisit moments from the MCU and see, well, if this would have happened differently, how would everything have changed? Episode 8, is that where we're at here? What If Ultron 1? I think is the best one of the series tied with Marvel zombies, Mm -hmm. which I just love zombie movies. So turning all the MCU into zombies was a cool idea to me. This was great. It was post-apocalyptic. It was dark as fuck. Um, So dark. And it explains what now we've been doing for the duration of this whole show, right? Yeah. So I'll say what if Ultron one is my favorite episode so far. I agree. And I think that what, I like so much, this is probably says more about me than a lot of things, but we're obviously pro-Sith on this. A lot of times we think the bad guys actually have a good point, even if their means of going about getting what they want is uh, not necessarily the best. This one, the bad guy actually still won, or the bad guy won. Or in all the other ones, like they still kind of get defeated, or we don't know the outcome of it. This one, like we pretty well know what's up, you know? And, and I think said, this. Go ahead. Sorry, Brian. Go ahead. I was gonna say I think this scenario for like how things would have changed was probably the closest to actually happening in the movies. Like Vis- Vision was almost activated by Ultron. Yeah, I mean he was like forty six percent complete. Yeah, which I've gotten forty six percent on tests before, and that's pretty solid. Yeah, I mean it's better than a forty five. That's exactly what I told my dad. Yet I still got grounded. So, Brian, last thing before we move on to the very end of the show. Uh, I'm assuming, I think we have one episode left. It's got to be the culmination episode, right? So I have two questions. How much are you looking forward to that? And then two, is this MCU canon? Or is this just like a fun adjacent piece to the MCU? Like what, what can we possibly do here in the finale? So I think, and this is more, I think, just because I want it to happen. We had, out of the, what, eight episodes we've seen, we've had six of them not really be completed. Like, Mm -hmm. they just kind of leave us on a cliffhanger. 
we now, and this is probably going to spoil uh, the latest episode, if Ultron won, so skip ahead 30 seconds if you don't want that spoiled for you. But I think that it's all going to culminate with those cliffhangers all coming about. Maybe we have an hour episode instead of 30 minutes. Yeah, and like you're, we're going to have one with Pepper Potts and Cherie, and all of a sudden we're going to have a scene where they show up and they help fight to save the multiverse or something like that. Uh, that has been in a promotional material that I saw. Those exact two. So I think, I think that they were purposely leaving us on cliffhangers. I also think that this isn't necessarily tied into the MCU, but I do think that this is going to be referenced like alternate timelines, and maybe we may get like an offhanded like, oh yeah, well if you know Loki wasn't born, then. You know, I would have been an only child or something like that. Like, not directly re- or referencing it, but not necessarily like directly quoting it or using it to advance a further storyline. Yeah, I still don't know what they're gonna do with the multiverse, but I trust that they have a plan. So you have to. Right. All right. Uh, what? That... What's that? <laughs> that noise. While annoying, signals the last part of our show. It's our Do You Even Lift Bra portion, which is the question and answer segment of our show, where we ask a question that we leave you folks with. And as our podcast just celebrated its five-year anniversary on September 21st, go check out episode 160. Here we are asking ourselves, what are our top 100 movies of all time? And counting them down every single episode. We obviously started with number 100. Cycle's list is down to his 95th movie, which is up next. Banner and I are down to 92 and 91. So we'll let Cycle do five quickly today, and then we'll do two as well. Cycle's top 100 movies so far, The Omen at number 100 from 1976. Mallrats at 99. Primal Fear at number 98. School of Rock at number 97. And Scream from 1996 at number 96. So, Cycle, what is your number 95 movie? All right, I got a yeah. time. Wow. Um, I got a movie here that I guarantee you probably none of you have seen. Maybe, maybe Horns, maybe you have. Um, it is a movie that I think I credit with probably why I love horror. It is a movie that it is not a famous movie by any means. It's a movie that when I was in third grade, I believe, um, me shit. and this guy named Adam Luck uh, rented at the local like Hollywood video or blockbuster or whatever it was, because back in the day you couldn't just browse and scroll. You just went and you saw a movie cover on VHS and you thought it looked cool and you would rent it. Um, And so we rented this movie called clubhouse detectives from, I think it's 1996. Okay. And the con, I love that this is in your list. I got to say this is, yeah, it's it's I will say I will I, I had to put it in my list somewhere. It's not the greatest movie of all time, obviously. Like it it, to, it means something to me and my sister. And we watched this movie. Honestly, you know, back then you had like three days of return a movie. Right. Like something like that. I think we watched it like five times or six times before we had to return it. Um, so this movie is the premise. And, I, and Jeff, I know I've talked to you about this movie because to me it is like uh suburbia like it, yeah it, dude this looks was awesome rip. yeah it's so good it's a kids movie that take it's a grim kids movie it's like a dark kids movie this kid 
lives next door to an opera singer and composer and basically witnesses what he thinks is a murder. He's going to the bathroom in the middle of the night. He sees his neighbor uh, out of the bathroom window and the neighbor has opera music playing really loud, but he sees him grab a girl and like choke her and then push her down. That's all he can see. And he's suspicious. And he's like, I think he killed this woman. So his Um, neighbor is the guy, right? His neighbor is the guy. Yeah. Okay. And the opera singer. And, um, and, and, and basically it turns into him and his friends. And he tells his friends like, dude, I think my neighbor killed this girl. Like they're literally third graders in the movie or fourth graders or whatever they are. They're, t- they, they're not like, you know, like high school kids and they have a suspicion. And me and my sister always talked about this movie. They do what kids are supposed to do. They go to the adults. They say, Hey, yeah. I think our neighbor killed someone and no one. But of course they laugh them. it off. Right. Yeah. Yes. The mom is like, Oh, you drank too much soda. I shouldn't have let you drink, you know, too much ice cream what the or fuck whatever. What do you think soda does to people, Mom? Yeah, and and I love this movie because it is if you like Suburbia, which I love like back in the day, it was just a great movie. This or is rear that concept. Window. Yeah, a rear window. Both of those. In fact, both and, of those may or may not show up on the later oh, on this nice. list. Yeah, and and the thing is about this movie is it is a kids movie, but it's a dealing with murder, and he deals. This friend like has to deal. They break into the house. They are looking for this uh, corpse. Um, and you know, of course, like then no, she, the mom finds out that they broke in and she's so upset and blah, blah, blah. Long story short, I won't go too long about this movie. I just have to defend it because it's not a famous movie. It, it, it just loved it because when I was a kid, I remember being freaked out about it. It like gave me thrilling. Like it was just awesome. And me and my sister shared this experience. And I really do credit this movie. I think with one of the reasons I love horror movies, uh, because, it, it was perfect for what it was at the time. I guarantee you, if you watch it now, maybe if you show it to your kid or something, it's nostalgic, it's fun. It, it, it really is a movie, I think, that deserved way more attention in the 90s than it ever got. So Clubhouse Detectives had to be in my top 100. I am so happy to put it at 95. So looking at the cast list, yeah, Ryan, there there's a character named Cade Ruckman. God, how much pussy does he get? <laughs> I mean, he he just impregnated all of our wives as I read that name. God. Oh, and Cade, by the way, spelled with a K. Of course. Nuh-uh. Yeah. I don't wow. think any of these people are. No, I, haven't, I didn't recognize anything. any of them from anything. But this is what I love about this exercise of our top 100 movies. Like, that's a movie that is on like you're not trying to sit here and argue it's an afi top 100 film absolutely but to you it has significance and it's a movie that you're like dude this movie fucking rocks like i love it it does i will defend like i would watch it today and i guarantee you my sister was listening and she'd be like you have to put clubhouse detectives on that list (laughs) it is and if you're at home we talked about this i think a little bit on episode 160 but if you're at home and you're like well yeah dude but it's number 95 on your list Try to put together your own list of top 100 movies. It's so fucking hard. hard. Yeah. It's hard, dude. If you crack this list, you kick ass. Like, to I'll me, this is the most living list. Like, I change it all the time. I really do. Oh, yeah. It's it's living and breathing. All right, Psycho, what's your number 94 movie of all time? So I'm going to go to um, The Truman Show. Uh, Ooh, Nice. Yeah, with uh, Jim Carrey. And why, obviously, I think this concept is something that we've all in our own psyches have thought. 
right? Like, oh, yeah. I'm being watched all the time. But if everything is a ploy and all my friends are being paid and this is like, everyone's messing with me. It's a, it's a concept that is stupid and silly, but also as dumb as it is, has messed with everyone. And so not only that, it's it, it probably the first role that we as as young people, especially in the 90s, got to see Jim Carrey where he wasn't Jim Carrey. Right. Um, yeah. He got to be a more serious character. He got to be someone who had depth outside of his like facial emotions. Um, it, it, and I think that was the first time he proved he could act. You know, like outside of he's still funny in the movie, but like he could straight up act. I, I, I stand Jim Carrey as a I, I will say this to this day. I think Jim Carrey could the Riddler he played in like the Batman Forever. I would love to have seen him play uh, Riddler in Christopher Nolan's Batman oh. trilogy. I, I think he would kill it. Um, totally but Truman Show. At the, yeah. Truman Show at the end of the day, um, if you haven't seen it, it it's just basically like. His life is a TV show for everyone else, and everyone around him is an actor, and he's been on TV since he was a baby, and he's slowly figuring it out. Unbeknownst to him. Um, you know and, what's and it, crazy about it, too? Is I would totally fucking watch that show. Oh, oh yeah, yeah like, we all would. We're sick. Yeah. It's disgusting. I've been watching The Circle. Want we watched... Yeah. Like, yeah, I, oh, I trust me. I'm all in on The Circle here. Yeah, like, you know, I'm just watching people stay in a room for three weeks. Like, why am I watching this? Well, and honestly, way ahead of its time, I mean, to me, the first time that reality television became mainstream was season one of Survivor, which yeah. wasn't until 2000, a year and a half after this movie. So kind of like harrowing in terms of how accurately mm-hmm. it predicted, like our obsession with like seeing ourselves and even in a couple of ways, kind of like the, the the social media obsession we have, because there's a little bit of the film kind of like a B plot where it goes into like actors who have tried to get on the Truman show and like what they're like the interview process is like, well, why are you actually trying to get in here? Like, are you going to give up the secret just so you can get Instagram likes, you know? Uh, and, and our obsessions, like, yeah, like everyone who's, I think the way like that you see on Twitter or the way we treat athletes or actors or something like that, we act like they don't actually have feelings. They're not humans. No, um, that TV, we are so. able to watch someone's life and we don't care like we yeah we feel we feel sympathetic or things like that but like oh it's someone else it's not they're not really real um and you see that in the show that was before social media and i think like really was a great prediction of how this was going to be uh how mobs can be on online um so i think this movie was ahead of its time i think it gave jim carrey a big opportunity to show himself as an actor outside of his comedic realm and I think this film really does hold up. I, I think it's a great movie. Right. I do remember my mom having to like prep me to watch it. She's like, hey, just so you know, like this isn't Jim Carrey. He's not going to be like grabbing his crotch and with a catchphrase. It's not, like, yeah, it's not Ace Ventura or Liar Liar. Yeah, because I, I, when I was a kid, I'm sure we were all the same. I just, whatever Jim Carrey put out, I just gobbled up. Absolutely. So my mom was like, this is not that. It's not the mask. All right, before Brian and I jump in, Cycli, what's your number 93 movie of all time? All right, I will go. Um, it's going to be Mean Girls. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, written by Tina Fey. Uh, God, I'm based sorry to say this. Book, on Scott Lohan. What, sorry? It's based on a book. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I, didn't think I knew that, actually. Fun fact. Maybe I, I did know that back in the day. The book um, is not called Mean Girls, though. 
Uh, it's like how to talk to my disturbed teenage daughter or some shit. Queen like bees and wannabes is the book. Yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe yeah, I did, I that does sound familiar. Close. Um, I, I I love this movie just for so many reasons. Obviously, we get Hot Lohan, um, but just in general, like it's it's a comedy that is not dumbed down. It, the, the premise is dumb, right? Like the premise is supposed to be this high school, popular girls who don't like each other and catfight and blah, 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 blah. But when you actually watch the movie, there's so much depth. It's very Tina Fey. If you like Tina Fey type humor, there's always like depth between behind the joke. There's always something kind of, you know, she likes to make fun of herself, but things behind it right like so i i really do like mean girls i think it's extremely well written and that's where it's best it's not really the cast it's not really the acting it's it's the writing in mean girls that makes it why it's i think still to this day extremely uh, popular i think you still pe- see people talking about it all the time and i think you can watch it like on the surface and be like oh this is just like another high school comedy you know about social cliques but because I think you get a little bit more of the teacher or the adult perspective from it and like sort of how they observe this world, but they're also kind of still in it. Yeah. There is, there is kind of like a meta element that like it, I think makes it age very well. And also it really just kind of, I don't want to say started the careers, but for me put like uh, Rachel McAdams on my map, Amanda Seyfried on the map. I mean, Lindsay Lohan was the big name at the time. Obviously history has not been as kind. Sadly. Yeah. Every, everyone's peak started going up at that point and she went down a little bit but i think one of my favorite scenes in, is when they all run into tina Fey's character at the mall and they all freak out like whenever you saw a teacher in real life when you were in school <laughs> so like weird. you're like wait this is this feels doesn't real, real life. like i just remember them she, tina Fey's like yeah it's me it's not that big of a deal i i do go shopping <laughs> yeah i don't just sit there and do lesson plans all day Awesome. All right. Down to our number 92. Brian Banner, what is your number 92 movie of all time? Number 92 is... And now, this is one that I think I may have watched once when I was really young. Don't really remember it. And when we started the pod, maybe even year one, Geiger got me to watch this again, and I realized how fucking great of a movie it is. And that's White Men Can't Jump. Oh, yeah. It's just simple about a couple of guys trying to make some money and doing what they, you know, doing how they know how to do it and hustling. It's just a good fucking movie. I, I don't really have much else to say on it. One that I'm, I'm hesitant to even put this out into the universe because it might happen. But one that I'm very glad no one has tried to remake yet. Yeah. I'm yep. just, in my head, I have Michael B. Jordan and Justin Timberlake in this and it, it scares me to death. I feel like we're it, it's going to happen. I know. That's why I'm like even verbalizing it. I'm like, why do I do this? You just put the idea in everyone's head. There you go. <laughs> Some Hollywood producer just woke up in a fever dream and it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> this movie. Uh, so my number 92 movie of all time. Perfect that it ties into tonight's episode and the beginning of the Halloween and horror movie season. Is the 2003 reboot remake. Of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre with Jessica Biel. I still maintain the second most scared I have ever fucking been watching a movie. And if you're like, that movie's stupid. Go back and rewatch this fucking thing. 
Oh my god. I mean, first off, the buildup, and even now even more harrowing, that someone poses as a police officer to lure these kids into basically captivity. Right? Like, they're pulled over by someone who has killed a sergeant a few weeks before, is wearing his badge, has his car in small town Texas, and these kids on a road trip. They're not, I think the thing that's so scary about this movie there's really not that moment like the Geico commercial makes fun of where the kids are like running from the killer and they go, let's go hide behind those uh, battle axes instead of getting the running car. Like the whole movie, the killers and really the whole sort of network that they've set up to murder these kids is pretty genius. Um, and the killer in Leatherface living in the basement of that house. Oh, my God. It's just I remember I need to go back. I need to go back. I'm glad you brought this up because I have not revisited that movie in in probably over a decade. It's it is haunting. And uh I saw this probably my freshman year of high school, maybe my sophomore year. And it was at a time when like, you know, it was really cool to like go to these movies and laugh at them and make fun of how stupid they were. And I just remember not even being able to put up that facade because I was so frightened by this film. <laughs> Like, I couldn't even be like, that's stupid, because I was pissing myself. But you went to the IHOP or Wendy's after, right? Obviously. I mean, naturally. If I wasn't there and wasn't seen, psychically, that would be the talk of the school on Monday. Everyone has to know where we all went to the same high school. Like, that, there was an IHOP and Wendy's in front of our movie theater that we all went to, and that was the thing. You got out of the movie. You went to IHOP or Wendy's. Yeah. yeah. Hell, half yeah. the time you didn't even go see a movie. That's probably true, too. Very accurate. I will revisit that movie. Thank you for bringing that up. I'm glad you mentioned that one. Yeah, it's it is very scary. And the original, I mean, when you go back and watch it now, I think just because of the cinematography isn't as haunting. This one, very dimly lit, like a lot of jump scares, which some people might argue are just cheap, but they're very effective in this, I think. Uh, all right, Cycle, what's your number 92 of all time? So 92, I'm actually going, um, I, I felt like it was low, but also I'm surprised it made the list at the same time, is Batman Begins. Um, it, it, I, I don't know, I, I am conflicted with this movie because I really do love it. I think this movie is also um, negatively affected by how good The Dark Knight is. And because I think if it was a standalone Batman, I think we'd all be like that. That was an amazing take on the original story on Batman. We were introduced, obviously, to Christopher Nolan's world on it and Christian Bale's Batman, um, Liam Neeson. I mean, fantastic cast. I think it's just been completely overshadowed um, by The Dark Knight and by Heath Ledger and everything that happened with that franchise that we really don't sometimes go back and really look at how solid of a movie it was. Um, so I, I think it's sometimes I, I'm surprised I made the list because I do forget about it. And I'm also feeling like doing it in 92 is a little bit of a disservice because this movie really is fantastic. So uh, I struggled with this one. I ended up 92 on my list just because of the, you know, like we've talked about, this is a hard putting any movie at the top 100 is very difficult. Uh, but Batman begins literally i think started the 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 path of superhero movies being re, having depth and emotion and realistic you know it's straight away from the 90s campy uh cartoony type superhero movies and i really think batman begins is what started all of this for not just dc but even marvel that oh, yeah. created this depth so batman begins deserves much more credit than it gets um 
And I, even to this moment saying it out loud now, the way I'm defending it, I'm like, man, it should be higher, but it is what it is. I mean, if you think about it, the superhero movie genre in 2005 was in a weird place. Like the Batman genre was a joke or the Batman films were a joke, right? Based on, yeah. and we love Joel Schumacher. Batman and Robin had basically killed any hopes of the, the, you know, character being taken seriously. Spider-Man three had not yet come out. It was two years yeah. away, but the Spider-Man God. series was still, you know, there was probably the most serious things going, but still being looked at with relative camp. We just got fantastic Four, So the superhero genre was on life support. Batman begins, I think blew people's fucking minds with how serious Nolan took it and how well he pulled it off. And yeah, really Christian Bale, complete unknown for me at the time. I mean, I had seen Dead Poet Society, but what's he like fifth build in that movie? So it's like, you know, huge game changer. I and always that, loved him in American Psycho. Like that's where. I was oh like, yeah, that's true. Can, yeah. I forgot about that. So but, that's probably no, what people I'm with you. With. But if it you go from Clooney, those... from Clooney to the guy murdering people with an axe as Batman, it's like <laughs> what's happening here? But it's the same thing when Heath Ledger got cast, or how I actually I mentioned on the pod like Robert Pattinson. I am so excited for his Batman take. Yes. Because when you watch Robert Pattinson movies like like Good Time or Lighthouse or whatever, you're like, dude, okay, this guy can get it. And so I'm giving him a shot at first when I heard the casting was that way. Same with Christian Bale. And and to be honest, I, I think he was fantastic. And again, overshadowed by Heath Ledger. I don't think we give credit to Christian Bale being as great of a Batman because of how good this was. So Batman Begins, to me, started it all for what we're experiencing with superhero genre um, today. Yep. All right, Banner, what is your number 91 movie of all time? Cycli, I'm so glad you're on this episode for me. Uh, last week, I broke the Star Wars cherry for the top Ooh. 100 movies. This week, I with am... With the Phantom Menace, I might add. Thank you. I it was it. with the Phantom Menace. Uh, number 91 for me, we're going Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Wow. Okay, I'm actually a little surprised. It's... It feels higher than it probably should be, but in my mind, this is when that story and that franchise starts to take off. I think that the first one and the second one are world building. They're really still introducing us to the wizarding world, Um, and this movie is when it goes, okay, hey, significant events happen here that we know are going to directly affect the next movie and the next movie and the movies to come. Whereas you can make the argument for Chamber of Secrets that that happens too, but that's not something that we could we saw coming. Um, so I think the significance that it has on the franchise, as well as I love when you have kind of the back to the future, we go back into the past and we can't interact with ourselves, but we end up being forced to, and then we have to kind of write what happened there. Uh, I just I like that concept and it's just an enjoyable movie with that. Absolutely, I think I, I, it's going to be on my list much later on. Um, I think I, what they did with it, um, Alfonso Cuarón, uh, he when you read the books, there is a there is a ma- massive change too yeah. outside of one and two and three, like you mentioned, and they needed a director's change because Christopher Columbus, um, you know. Can, home alone movies and and that's he's he does he does a good job but he does a very if you go watch his movies they're all fairly similar he's, he's good at what them. he does yeah and that's it right and that's it i don't think he would have been the guy to continue the series 
Uh, we can talk about, you know, the depths of what happened with Harry Potter and the different act- the directors who took it. But I wish Alfonso Cron had done more than just this movie. I really do. I, I think agree. This movie's phenomenal. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Like, again, I, I one thing I love about the Harry Potter franchise, I'm not like a, a huge fan like you guys, but I appreciate how the movies mature as the kids do. Like, to yep. go from Christopher Columbus to the guy that did Children of Men and Gravity and Roma yep. to do a Harry Potter film, I mean, first off, shows you the respect people have for the source material to even consider this. But also, like, they understand that, like, the story is maturing as the kids mature. Like, we're not, you know, it's not going to be... The first one is basically a kid's movie. And it, Deathly Hallows Part 2 is very dark, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, Alfonso Cuaron wanted to come back, and that's what sucks. Um, I would have... I do love what David Yates did in the last four movies. I would have preferred Alfonso Cuaron did the fourth one, or maybe some of the later ones, but... It's always that what if they had, because I think the guy brought there was I do think the books were also darker than the movies did portray later on. So, um, yeah, Prisoner of Azkaban, I'm glad it was on your list, Brian. Yeah, I think this is sorry, Brian. uh, I was just going to say, I think that and I I didn't want to bring this up in the argument because obviously this is a top movie, not a book. But this is the movie that is starts to get darker and is the truest to the book they didn't just because of pure length they didn't have to take as much out of the story for this one uh which i really liked as well david yates has nudes on somebody at warner brothers i mean he's done all the fantastic beasts and will continue to so yeah <laughs> something's going on there all right uh we just have two more my number 91 don't have much to say about it it's a movie that i was surprised how much i liked because I'm actually not a huge fan of this director, even though he is a legend. But this movie, for some reason, every time I rewatch it, I there's something about it artistically that it's so unique and it just weirdly works for me. And that is The Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, of course, uh, starring Leonardo DiCaprio. Quaalude scene. Right, the Quaalude scene directed by uh, Scorsese, who I'm typically not a fan of. Like, I like The Departed, obviously, but... I think he's a very, very good director, but his movies just for some reason to me feel a little bit gratuitous. And yes, I hate his comments about superhero films as well. I'm not going to act like that doesn't factor in. But something about, to me, like this is a movie where Leonardo DiCaprio's performance is just, he brought his shit every single day. Like he Best was like. Best actor in our generation. Yes, I agree. And this is to me yeah. case in point of that. The passion that he puts in this role, he's like, I'm going to leave it all on the field every single day. And that's it. Like, no no regrets. Not even a single letter. <laughs> also, the one of the great lines, I think, of the last 20 years is where John Bernthal is sitting at the diner with all of them and Leonardo DiCaprio is trying to hire um, stockbrokers. And he hands John Bernthal's character a pen and he says, try to sell me this pen. And John Bernthal says, okay, write your name down for me. And he goes, I, I can't. I don't have a pen. And he throws the pen at him and goes, supply and demand. <laughs> like classic I've actually never seen it uh, I think you like it it is very long but uh, it's good it's intense the Margot Robbie is sexy in it so Margot Robbie there is a scene where her shirt is not on nor her bra let me put it that way <laughs> also a scene where she's not wearing pants yes might all be the same scene <laughs> if you have the internet maybe double check 
right, I, I think will the last, research this for you. And the get last back. one we have left is Cycli's number 91 before we let the people go. Cycli, what is your number 91 uh, of all time? So this is a uh, 1993 uh, off, uh, like I, I could call it action film um, that I absolutely love because, again, action films kind of like horror can be done really cheaply. They can be done uh, really campy. But when they're done right, when they're given depth, they're, they, they are fantastic. And this is Harrison Ford in The Fugitive. Um, yeah. Uh, I just I think this was one of the first probably um, action movies I was introduced to when I was young because um, I, I was probably six or seven when this movie came out, and I, it kind of set the bar into what was expected out of uh, what could be you know a nonstop thriller, right? Like this movie really is kind of nonstop. Out once the movie gets going after the, like the first ten minutes, once the murder scene happens, um, it just doesn't really stop, and Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones. I mean, they're just the acting in it is is phenomenal. The ability of their characters to talk and understand each other, and but Tommy Lee Jones doing a job, um, you know, at the end of the day. But also, you know, there's also something else more devious uh, going on than him just hunting a man wanted for or who's found guilty for murdering his wife. Um, obviously with the pharmaceutical company, something that John Kramer would have loved, by the way, uh, Jigsaw would love this movie. Oh my God. It would have. Um, uh, yeah, but the fugitive, I think it was nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards too. Uh, I don't think it won, but, uh, it, it really is to me just, uh, it's a film on its own. Isn't going to like, you know, be like, wow, you know, this is going to break down and be the greatest movie ever. But really as an action film does set the standard. I, I think in terms of how well you can do it. Um, and take it seriously. So The Fugitive, uh, Harrison Ford, Tommy Lee Jones, great, great movie. Iconic movie poster as well with Harrison Ford, like running on the train tracks. Yeah. And did you know that U.S. Marshals from 2008 is a sequel to The Fugitive? Yeah, I did. It's, I think I've seen it once. It was, I don't know. I guess spinoff might be more appropriate. Yeah. It's just like that was a case in their file. I, you know, like something like that. It was interesting. I think his Marshall is actually pretty good. I just don't remember it. I think the Fugitive, the '93 one, is technically a remake as well. Man, um, I'm learning it, everything. But to me, it's like the. Hang on, is the Fugitive? Let's just Google this on Pod. Okay, I'm spelling it wrong, so oh, that'll no. be that'll be great. I um, just saw. Yeah, okay. So Tommy yeah. Lee Jones did win Best Supporting Actor for it. Mm. And yeah, it stemmed. There was a 1963 TV series that the future. Wow. Okay. Based on. There we go. Great entry in the. All top. our fans in their 70s and 80s are like, you young rascals. This is the only podcast I listen to. <laughs> what? Thank you. I guess. I don't yeah. That's, I have more questions than I have answers for you. <laughs> how did you even find us? They can't. They can't actually turn it off. They're like, how do you skip this? were stuck their grandkids played it and then they had to leave their grandkids and so now it's just perpetually on all right before we leave the people for episode 162 closing thoughts ronnie we'll start with you first it's halloween time to watch those horror movies time to watch the scares like and uh, you know what hand out candy guys hand out like the yeah. candy bars don't 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 get jiff these. and don't, don't just say that, one candy bar. give them a handful shit. Yeah, dude, give him a give him a full handful of candy bars. No juji fruits. Yeah, I'm just saying name brand or just don't just don't even answer the door when I ring. Or you know this full coat uh, cans of soda. Man, those were the houses when you were a kid. 
I don't know, man. That's that's a lot to ask. <laughs> it's a lot of sugar at this point in my life. Hey, they're not my kids. They're not my kids. I don't that's know. true. I don't have to deal with them the rest of the night. Banner's like, well, I actually will. Yeah, I well, I do, so that sucks. <laughs> but you know how it is. They'll go crazy, and they crash for like nine hours. So it's great. Yeah. Ryan, last thoughts on this spooktacular. Uh, you know, guys, you never know who's out there attempting to murder people and who's out there actually murdering people. So if you see those emergency vehicles, just remember this Halloween season, there could be somebody fighting for the lives in the back of that. Just pull the fuck over and let them go to the hospital and then you can go and get your, you know, twizzle stick from the gas station. Also, Chucky is very bitter about losing to to Jigsaw, so he's going to be stabbing a lot of people. So he's out there. That's probably more than normal, which is quite alarming. It's quite bitter. He took the loss hard. I'll just say this. This is when, for me, the pod like really fucking ramps up. Like, obviously, the summer is fun because we get all the big blockbusters. But horror movies are my favorite type of film. December, we always get badass releases and Christmas movies have just a special place in my heart. So if you're. At all feeling the same way, uh, I can promise that our content these next two months will be, I won't say good, but less shitty than it normally is. I feel like it's a, it's fair, a good way to put it. It's a fair advertisement. We'll never say good, ever. No, that that, that would be, uh, what, libel? Yeah, we, yeah, we would be sued <laughs> so quickly. We don't lie on this podcast. <laughs> no. All right, for our legal counsel, Ronnie Cycli, and the mad scientist, Brian Banner, I'm the mayor, Jeff Hornacek. And we are the Broke Four Squad Podcast. Thank you guys so much for checking us out. Follow us on Twitter at Bro Four Squad. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, iHeartRadio, anywhere you find your podcasts. If you type in Bro Force Squad as three separate words and check out everything we've posted on our website, BroForSquad.com. Till next time, we'll see you out there trick-or-treating. Don't knock the bag out of our hands and take our candy because it happened to me once. I said sorry. It was last you year. were laughing though as you did it, so it didn't feel. Yeah.